Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning, Three Creeks. Uh, I am so excited to get to be here with you all this morning. Uh, Thank you for being here. You could have been doing lots of things right now. You could have been sleeping in. Uh, You could have been watching American football in London at nine in the morning, uh, which is weird, but that's how our West Coast friends, I guess, get to experience it. Uh, Some of you are panicking about your fantasy teams as we speak right now, because you're like, wait, a game has already started? It did, so don't even even check. You don't have to worry about it, because it started an hour ago. but uh, yeah, you're here, you're here. You chose to be here this morning, and that's a big deal. And uh, it's a privilege to get to get up here in front of you um, and get to open God's word with you uh, and get to talk with you. It's, it's a great privilege. And so I'm excited, I'm excited you're here. I'm excited we get to do this together. Um, it's gonna be fun. Uh, so my wife and I, uh, Kelsey's actually not here today. She's uh, shooting a wedding. But my wife and I just started going to Three Creeks about seven months ago. Um, But if you haven't seen me around much, uh, that's because five months ago, so like just a couple weeks after we started coming to Three Creeks, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, And it was a pretty wild ride uh, over the next couple months from there, to say the least. Um, I was, I thought, uh, relatively healthy. Um, I didn't, didn't, there was no real warning signs or anything uh, other than my throat had started to feel pretty swollen. And I don't know if any of you out there have seasonal allergies, uh, but I totally do. And so, you know, if you take yourself back to March, it's spring. Well, it's not really spring. We got to trick ourselves into thinking it's spring and hoping in Ohio that spring is here. Uh, but it's March. And so, and I just feel like my throat is, uh, it's just like kind of hard to swallow. And so I'm thinking it's seasonal allergies. It's not a big deal. Uh, if I just ignore it, it'll probably get better. Anybody else with their medical conditions uh, feel that way? Um, that's how I treat my body, and my wife does it with our car, you know? Like the warning lights come on, and she just thinks, if I just ignore it, those, they just go away. Uh, Christmas is over, the lights get put away, and the dashboard will be clear again. Um, but I do that with my body, I totally do, I'm guilty of that. And so uh, at first I just noticed it, I ignored it, it'll get better. Uh, a couple weeks go by, and now I can't really swallow food anymore um, without like really like actively using muscles I didn't know I could control in my throat to like force it down. And then I was like, okay, maybe something is serious. Uh, I should probably go get this checked out. And so I do, I just go to urgent care, uh, and eventually I get to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, and so he has got, uh, and this is, I'm not going to get super medical gross, so, but trigger warning. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about physical stuff right now, so if that grosses you out, just be ready for that. Uh, I think it's worth it. So, and I got the mic. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I'm at the ENT doctor. I'm not, I'm not concerned. You know, I just think it's something weird is happening. He sticks a camera up my nose and down my throat because what's happening is it's like deep in my throat. You can't see it just looking in. So he's got a camera and the monitor is like right here and I'm on the chair right here and he's like right here, right? Like kind of looking back and forth, if you can picture that. Uh, and then I hear him, as soon as he gets the camera in there, he just makes a hmm noise. And I was like, that's probably not good. Uh, that's not what I wanted to hear. Um, He's like, interesting. Literally says that out loud. But he's not talking to me, but his face is like six inches from my face, you know? So it's just a weird, weird uh, encounter. And so I'm just kind of sitting there like, ah, ah, ah. And uh, he's like, hold on one second, okay? So he goes and gets his wife. Uh, she's a speech pathologist. And they like have a practice together. So she comes in. They're both in their like late 60s at least. Um, and so they've been doing this for a long time. 
Uh, he's, and he tells her in front of me, not to me, but to her in front of me, hey, come, come check this out. Come take a look at this. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't know if this is good or bad. Like I'm now the guinea pig for people that have been doing this for decades. So that feels a little bit weird, but okay. So she's looking into, and she makes the same like, hmm, noise. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know. Is this good? Is this bad? Um, and he goes, you definitely have a growth. Do you want to see? And he kind of swings the monitor over. And so I can like look inside my own throat now. And probably 80% of it is covered with something. Like there's like this growth that's in my throat. And I'm like, that's, that's really bad. That can't be good. Um, but they're just interested. They're intrigued, you know? So um, he goes, uh, do you mind if I take some samples of it? And I said, sure. So they numb me up and they have to scrape. I won't get into detail, but they scrape off some stuff to get some samples. Um, and as he's doing that, he says, I, it looks like it's barely attached to the back of your throat. This is, mind you, camera in nose, scalpel in mouth, uh, wife in his faces and monitor. We're all kind of real intimate right now, you know? And he says, uh, it's, it's barely attached to the back of your throat. Do you want me to try and cut it off? I have the knife in my throat as he says this. And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, how am I supposed to answer this? And th at this point, I, like, for half a second, I'm like, am I on a TV show? Like, what is happening right now? Uh, and so he goes, I'm just going to go for it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, this is a true story. Um, and so he then goes to try and cut off the growth. Um, now I feel lots of pressure. I'm numbed up, so it doesn't hurt, but it doesn't feel good either. Uh, and then I won't go through all the details, but essentially I start gagging. Uh, and it's, it's, there's blood involved, and it's, it gets pretty gross. And, uh, and so he kind of pulls back, and his wife, and they go, we're sorry. And I was like, sorry? Like, what is happening right now? Um, where am I? Uh, and I, I kind of half expected that the next thing I would do is wake up in a bathtub with my kidney missing or something. You know, like, that's kind of what this felt like. This is the trajectory that this is going on. Um, but thankfully, they just said, no, we're sorry. And... Uh, and, you know, you should go see someone else. <laughs> I was like, good idea. <laughs> uh, and so eventually they referred me to an oncologist. And, uh, yeah, I get the phone call uh, on Good Friday, actually, that uh, I have cancer. Um, don't know what kind it is yet. No, it's, it, we just know it's a blood cancer. It's lymphoma, some type of lymphoma uh, on Good Friday. So, like, two hours later from getting that call that kind of rocked my world, I'm here at Three Creeks worshiping in our Good Friday service, which was actually such a gift from the Lord. And, uh, you know, talking about the suffering of Christ and what he went through for us and with us. And, um, and then two days later, it's Easter Sunday, and we're talking about how death has been conquered. And I'm like, I'm just a mess, you know, like, because part of me is thinking, you know, who's going to walk my daughter down the aisle? Uh, she's only uh, four, but we're going to get there eventually, right? So I'm like, I'm doing dishes that weekend, like <laughs> weeping, you know, thinking about that. Um, but then I also get to church and I'm hearing this truth that Jesus has already conquered death. And those two things kind of being true at the same time really messed me up in a really powerful way um, that Easter weekend. Uh, so eventually I find out that uh, I've got something called uh, non-Hodgkin's Burkitt's lymphoma. It's a blood cancer. And uh, I'm going to go to the James. I'm, I now get admitted to the James Cancer Hospital. I've actually got a picture of me in there, I think, um, for you guys. So here I am at the beginning, uh, feeling pretty good. Nothing, no chemo has happened yet, right? Like I got a big smile on my face, thumbs up, like let's do this thing. Uh, and I was genuinely sort like feeling that, like, that way. I wasn't faking it for the picture. I was excited that I had people around me that knew what they were doing. Um, I was in one of the best cancer research hospitals in the world, uh, and it's 10 minutes from Gehanna and my house. And, uh, and I was feeling like God has got me. Like, I genuinely felt that way and had a ton of people praying for me. Um, but uh, you can show the next picture. So here I am at the end of treatment uh, with my Lex Luthor look going strong. And, uh, 
And obviously, uh, a lot had happened in between those two pictures. Um, and yeah, I mean, I experienced some of the most unimaginable pain I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, some of the loneliest nights. I was in and out of the James uh, for weeks sometimes. My longest stay was 22 days. In that four-month span, I had a 22-day stay. Um, we have two young kids at home. My wife is pregnant. Uh, we found that out a month before I found out I had cancer. It, we got a puppy two months before that. That's a whole other story. Uh, I was not pushing for the puppy. I told you so, Kelsey. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it was just a whirlwind of a month uh, or of a, of a summer. And so that's why you haven't seen me around very much. Um, but praise the Lord, uh, about a month ago, all this, the chemo finished up, the scans came back, and I am cancer-free. Um, yeah. Uh, which is awesome, which is awesome. But what's really awesome is I would not, I don't admit, I would not recommend the price of admission for what I got to go through the last couple months. I don't think anyone should buy that ticket. Um, but... I can honestly and truthfully say in front of you, I would not trade it for anything. Uh, even though it was some of the darkest and scariest moments of my life, God met me in some ways that I have had never experienced before. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I met Jesus, I think, at a really young age. I started praying the Lord's Prayer and memorizing that as maybe a six or seven-year-old. Um, but some stuff happened over the last couple months with me and Jesus that I had never experienced my faith before, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, and I, I have a renewed uh, excitement and dependence on prayer is one of the main things I took away from those last couple months. So getting to talk about prayer with you guys this morning is very exciting for me. Um, so last week, Joel kicked off our series uh, on, this, on the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I don't know about you guys and your experience with the Lord's Prayer before this series. For me, uh, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is the, the pre-locker room football game prayer. So uh, in, I, I grew up in Virginia, and our coach, before every home game, or before every football game, we'd be in the locker room. We'd all take a knee. We'd put our arms around each other, uh, you know, eye black on, ready to rock, and we would pray the Lord's Prayer together and then go out there and, you know, get on the gridiron. And uh, I don't know, there's something about the Lord's Prayer. I, like, started associating the Lord's Prayer with, like, I want to jack someone up. Like, those, those somehow became... <laughs> connected for me. Uh, I felt like that was what was supposed to happen next. Um, and, and then, I don't know, it's, it's also, it's just a familiar prayer. Uh, so even if you haven't really prayed it much yourself, you've probably heard it before or parts of it before. Um, when we first moved to Gehanna uh, a little over three years ago, um, our son, Judah, he would point up to the sky all the time and be like, Daddy, airplane. He was like four years old. Um, and, you know, we live by the airport, so there's airplanes flying overhead all the time. And, uh, but now, three years later, there's still the same airplanes flying over all the time, but Judah never points up to the sky anymore, you know? And I don't even notice them myself anymore either. Like, we live next to the airport. We used to be like, oh, airplane, airplane, airplane. And now it's like, I don't even hear them anymore, but they're flying overhead all the time. And I think that that is something that can happen with us with prayer, and maybe even most specifically with the Lord's Prayer. It can become so common for us, so familiar, that it almost becomes white noise and background noise. Um, and I would venture to say that the, the section we're going to talk about this morning of give us this day our daily bread might be the part of the Lord's Prayer that might be the most easy for us to kind of skip over and not pay close attention to um, and not really be impacted by. So I'm excited to get to dive in with you guys for the rest of our time together this morning to that one single sentence, give us this day our daily bread. 
Um, so, the first part of um, the Lord's Prayer uh, that Joel talked about last week has a different focus than this second part. Um, and if, we, uh, if you want to flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, real quick, we're going to go there first before we go to Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew 22, it's the first of the Gospels near the end of the book, starting in verse 36. Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. As you're flipping there, I'll give you some context. Uh, Jesus is, in this section of Matthew, Jesus is being challenged by multiple different religious groups, Sadducees, Pharisees, teachers of the law. Each of them are kind of coming up, taking their shot at trying to trick Jesus. Each of them kind of sends their best guy they got, tries to catch him in a trap, and then Jesus just systematically dismantles them uh, in the genius ways that only Jesus can. And so that's been happening back and forth for a little bit. Uh, and so finally now, uh, the Pharisees are up, and they saw that the Sadducees just got beat. So the Pharisees are like, okay, it's our turn. Let's do this. They step forward. They're trying to trick Jesus. Um, here's what they ask him in verse 36, Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one? There were over 600 commandments uh, in the law. Um, in addition to that, they had added on all these other things to say, okay, well, now that we know what these laws are, what does this actually mean for us in our life? How do we apply these laws? And so there were hundreds, maybe thousands more of those. And he says, Jesus, which one of these is the most important? And in verse 37, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So maybe you've heard this before. Jesus says, you want to know what the most important law is? Loving God. And right alongside with that, what must be attached to that is also loving your neighbor as yourself. And the reason I remind us of this teaching is because I think that this is exactly what Jesus is unpacking in the Lord's Prayer with what Joel talked about last week. That first part is all about loving God, his kingdom coming, reminding us of who he is. Like that whole, that's what the whole first section is. And as we pivot today to give us this day our daily bread, we're shifting from loving God to now loving others. And here's why I say that. Because uh, if you notice, and now you can flip with me to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. Just flip back a couple pages. Let me read the Lord's Prayer for us again. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's that first part. There's that loving God part. Verse 11, we pivot. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you're like me, you just read along with that the words us, give us our daily bread, but you inserted with your brain me. I don't know, I'm not saying everyone did that, but that's what I do when I read that prayer. I hear give us our daily bread and I insert me because I'm a modern Western radical individualist and that is what we do best, uh, is we, we go to ourselves first and I'm, I'm talking to, about myself right now. Like that's what I want to do. And I want to think about myself and I want to think about the bread that I need, the bread that I the, the forgiveness that I need. Um, but Jesus in his teaching does not say, give me or give you your daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread. So in this section, Jesus is modeling through prayer how we can, one way that we can love others. Do you catch that? 
because we're not praying just for ourselves, we're praying for each other. And that's a pretty powerful thing. It is not me that Jesus is teaching us to pray for, it is we. And as modern Western radical individualists, we need to let that sink in deeply. I need to let that sink in deeply because I don't want to go to we first, I want to start with me. But Jesus is teaching us, and teaching us to pray, teaches us to pray for we. So, let's get this daily bread. I was waiting to drop that. It felt like the right time. Um, so in this time, Jesus is a first century Jew, okay? He's a first century Jew. What would, and he's speaking to other first century Jews, what would other first century Jews have immediately thought of? What would have come, what images, what memories, what history would have come into their brains when they heard the phrase, uh, daily bread? If you were here a couple weeks ago, we, read, we did a series on Exodus and Moses, right? And if you know that story, or if you remember from that series, uh, the Israelites as a people were wandering through the desert for 40 years. And during that time, God sustains them by giving them something called manna. And manna literally translated, literally means what? Like what? what is this? It was this substance that just fell and appeared on the ground every morning and the Israelites would eat it and it would be just enough for that day. In fact, they tried to gather some of it and like store it and it actually spoiled and went bad. So God was giving them literally just enough that they could eat each day uh, and then the next day the manna would appear again. And that is how they sustained an entire people group for 40 years in the desert. So when Jesus starts talking about praying for daily bread, immediately for first century Jews, that's the image that would have popped into their head. They would have known that well. They would have studied it as kids. Um, and for some of us, we can relate to that. For some of us, um, maybe money is really tight right now. Maybe the pandemic has been really hard. Um, maybe financially, we're really living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, credit card debt is racking up. And for some of us, we know what it's like to pray for daily bread because we genuinely don't know where our next meal is going to come from or our next rent check or our next thing that we need for our kids. Some of us are in a hard spot right now. We know what it's like to be desperate for the next thing. Um, but I think for a lot of us, um, maybe that's not so easy for us to connect with. This idea of relying on needing something every single day, not knowing where our next meal is going to come from. Maybe we haven't felt that way in a long time. Maybe our biggest decision is, do I want Chipotle or Piata today? Um, and not so much, where am I going to eat today? So it can be hard for us to connect with them. And I think that that doesn't just come from us being modern individualists. I think that actually comes from the history and the, what our country was built on, some of our founding principles, if you will. Um, I've got a couple slides to talk about that. Um, so let's go throw that first one up. So the first one's a quote from Thomas Edison on the left there. It says, there is no substitute for hard work. And on the right, a quote from John Locke, all wealth is the product of labor, right? Because in America, uh, if you want it, you go get it. If you need it, you work for it. Ain't nothing in this life is free, right? These are some things that have been in the ethos of America for a long time. Go ahead and throw the next one up. Um, let's do the Mark Cuban quote first. On the right, it's not about money or connections. It's the willingness to outwork and outlearn everyone. So that's, that's his modern day. And then I like this tweet, a uh, random tweet I found. European out-of-office replies, I'm away camping for the summer. Email me again in September. American out-of-office replies, I have left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime. Uh, that rings true, right? Like we in America um, as a whole uh, have a very strong work ethic. Not everyone for all time, of course. Um, there's always exceptions. But as a rule, that's something that, that's one of the things that our country's kind of been built on. 
And so I think that that might be one of the reasons why it is hard for us to connect with this prayer of a poor first century Jew asking for the Lord to provide daily bread for them. Uh, You know, at that time, they were living in Roman oppression. Uh, There's a foreign government occupying their entire country. Uh, Soldiers are seen always, everywhere you go, in the city streets, there to keep uh, the peace and to keep, make sure there's no uprisings or rebellions, which the Jews multiple times tried to do. So there's armed soldiers, they're taxing them like crazy. There's all kinds of corruption. They were very poor. It was very real for many of those people that were sitting on that mountainside that day. It was very real for many of them to be thinking, if I don't catch a good load of fish tonight, my family will not eat tomorrow. That's a real thing for them. But for us, it can be a big struggle. We have to really kind of do some mental gymnastics for many of us to get ourselves to even get close to feeling that kind of desperation. And I'm not saying that hard work is inherently bad. I don't think it is. I think that there's a lot that's really good about hard work. But what I am saying is, in your thinking about hard work, have you come to think that you have more control over your life than you actually do? I know for me, I very much thought that until I got hit by the freight train that was cancer uh, in April of this year. I was very much in the driver's seat of my life. I was very much thinking, I've got this under control and I know what I want to do and where I want us to go as a family, as a ministry. Um, I I know what I want to do with my life. And uh, I was not feeling very desperate in my prayer life, even a little bit, until cancer hit. (laughs) And I had to learn the hard way how to become desperate in prayer and to need the Lord daily. Um, And my prayer for us this morning and for the rest of our lives as uh, on this side of heaven is that we wouldn't need something like cancer to smack us in the face to make us desperate on our prayer for the Lord. Um, That he and the Holy Spirit would shake us up this morning and going forward and really make us realize what's actually the reality of what's happening is that we actually don't have as much control as we think we do. Uh, but there's a good God who has the whole universe in the palm of his hand. So, um, three points I want to walk us through quickly, and then uh, and we'll be done. You guys are doing great. The first one is this. Jesus was praying for physical bread for physical people. Jesus was praying for physical bread for physical people. We need to be careful that we're not more spiritual than Jesus. As modern Westerners, especially if we're not feeling that, that grind of paycheck to paycheck, it's easy for us to want to jump over the physical and go straight to the spiritual and want to over-spiritualize the very basic physical prayer that Jesus is praying in this prayer. We need to be careful we're not more spiritual than Jesus. Uh, Why would Jesus who fed the 5,000 not want us to pray for feeding 6 billion in our world today? There are many, many, many hungry people. Let's not jump past the physical needs of the we so we get to the spiritual me before we should. Um, a really cool quote I found from Martin Luther. Uh, he wrote, you know, he prayed this and wrote this hundreds of years ago, but it's, it's very interesting, I thought. He's taught that when we pray for bread, we're praying at the same time for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, a house, a home, a wife, children, good government, and peace, and that God may preserve us from all sorts of calamities, sickness, pestilence, hard times, war, revolution, and the like. That's, he's unpacking what that one sentence prayer is actually also praying for. Do you guys, does that make sense? Do you guys see that? 
Like a simple one sentence prayer by Jesus that actually leads to, for that to be true, for us to be given our daily bread, actually means all these things had to happen. Do we realize that when we're in line at Chipotle trying to decide if we're going to splurge and get the nice expensive new steak, which is really good, uh, or just settle for the chicken? Like, do we realize all the work that had to happen for that to become available to us that we participated in and that was done for us? Like, when we pray for daily bread, we're actually praying for a whole lot of pretty amazing and powerful things. So let's not skip over and minimize the fact that Jesus was praying for physical bread for physical people, and that that physical prayer is actually a pretty powerful and important prayer. Um, the second thing, that praying for physical bread is also a spiritual exercise. So praying for physical bread is a spiritual exercise because as we pray for spiritual bread and our mindset gets uh, reoriented into how the universe actually works, uh, it teaches us to pray for needs, not desires. It teaches us to pray for essentials, not luxuries daily requirements, not accumulation or excess. And ultimately, it teaches us to pray for the necessities to be a faithful citizen in the kingdom of God, and not just in this temporal society. So do you see how the discipline of praying for daily bread can actually reorient our minds and make us think differently and see the world differently and remind us that those things are true? Um, In Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, it says this, it says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become too poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Some good wisdom from a very wise book in Proverbs. Do you see what he's saying there? The author is saying, I actually only really want daily bread because if I have too much, it's hard for me to see my need for the Lord. If I get too much, if I accumulate too much, it's hard for me to realize that I'm actually dependent on him. And if I have too little, that might cause me to go and to do wrong and to steal and to become desperate and put it on myself to provide for myself. So he's saying, actually, the healthy place for me to be is in the middle, reliance on the Lord for my daily bread. I think that could be a good, well-spent cup of coffee morning thinking through those two verses and what that means for our lives. Finally, uh, number three, man does not live on bread alone. So yes, Jesus is praying a physical prayer. And yes, as we pray physically, it has a spiritual impact. But ultimately, Jesus did come to give us life and life to the full. He came to conquer sin and death forever. He came to give us eternal life. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In John 6, you might have heard this story before. Jesus feeds over 5,000 people. 5,000 people. It's an amazing miracle. It blows people away. Um, And then in a teaching after that, later on in John 6, he then claims that the reason he did that miracle was, yes, to provide for them physically because they were in the middle of nowhere and needed food. But ultimately, it was to show that he actually is the bread of life. He gives a teaching where he says that I have come because I am the bread of life. And you must, and he gives this weird teaching about eating his body and drinking his blood, which doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And they, a lot, they walk away. And yet this morning at, when we did communion, we rehearsed that exact thing. Jesus came to show that man does not live on bread alone. Uh, I learned this lesson in the hospital. There were many days and nights um, where all I could do was pray. Um, I did not really want to read anything. I didn't want to see anybody. Um, All I could do was listen to worship music and pray. And I learned uh, pretty quickly that I was not going to live on 
okay, uh, James Hospital food <laughs> alone, uh, and that I was not going to live on my friends alone or my family alone. Like, I became very desperate in needing Jesus and if nothing else. Man does, not come to, man does not live on bread alone. So, in conclusion, in conclusion, and as the band makes their way back out, um, I would encourage us to not just gloss over this prayer for daily bread. I would encourage us to really sit and deeply think about what this could actually mean for our lives. If we actually, um, what do we think we deserve? What do we think we have earned? What do we think belongs to us? Uh, How much do we think that what we have right now is because of our hard work and labor? Do we really believe that the God of the universe might be the one that has actually provided all of that to us? Do we gloss over praying for daily bread because we're not worried about where our next meal will come from? Or do we allow the model and teaching of Jesus to inform our hearts and minds about how the God of the universe really works in his economy? What's really encouraging is after this, the disciples will go on and Jesus will die and he will resurrect and he will go back to heaven and he will leave the disciples. And we see in Acts chapter two, the disciples coming together and selling their stuff to provide food for the people around them. So we see the disciples living out this idea that, uh, that Jesus will provide the daily bread for them, that God will provide it for them. So the disciples go and they actually live into this prayer. And that's, a, that's the thing that the early church was known for, was caring for the needy and physically meeting their needs. And that's a part of the reason why we love being a part of this church. This church is known for caring for people and meeting their physical needs. Um, and I'm, I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And, but are you, are you engaged with that? Are you engaging with loving your neighbor? Are you engaging with meeting the physical needs of the world around you? I think as we pray this prayer, that might make our hearts break more for what Jesus breaks for. Um, and I'd like to invite Trevor up and close with this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, As we pray, we come with our needs expectant of positive response but we do so changed by our satisfaction in him and our trust of him. We do not come arrogantly and anxiously telling him what has to happen. Many things we would have otherwise agonized over, we can now ask for without desperation. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.